We are thrilled and moved by the response to the podcast. We love reaching actors all over the world, actors like you, who tell us that our podcast inspires them, informs them, and makes them excited and proud to be an actor. Yeah, but make no mistake, an acting career is won by being in the consistent practice of the work, week after week, month after month, year after year. Success for an actor is in the doing. So here at the BGB studio, we offer the highest quality acting training for passionate, committed, talented, and ambitious actors. We see that kind of work transform talent into successful careers, and that makes us so happy. There is no substitute for doing the work consistently, and we offer the work of success. We are the home of your 10,000 hours. We offer ongoing and eight-week on-camera auditions, scene study, and workout classes. They're available now. So sign up now to secure a spot and get to work. Go to bramangarciabron.com slash classes or click the link for classes in the podcast show notes. We'll see you in class. You want to book as much acting work as you can, as often as you can. We get that. The thing is, you don't book acting work by focusing on booking acting work. The industry is more dynamic than that. The art is more interesting than that. By taking you inside the craft, the casting room, and the business, and bringing other industry experts into the conversation, we dig in. We pull back the curtain of the industry and show you how much power you really have as an artist. And by bringing your humanity to the work and the industry, you become an artistic leader the kind of actor who books work. Even after decades of working with actors all over the world, in our classes at the BGB studio, teaching, coaching, casting, directing, producing, acting, on set, on stage, behind the camera, and in front, nothing excites us more than seeing you express your unique artistic voice, humanize the business, and book work doing it. We're here on the podcast and in class at the BGB studio to give you all the tools you need to be a championship-level working actor right now in an industry that desperately needs your voice and your leadership. Yeah, industry and artistry. This is the only place you're going to hear this. I'm Risa. And I'm Steve. And this is the Acting Podcast from the BGB studio. Jason is hardly who you might think when you imagine a Hollywood studio TV president. I mean, he's sensitive, caring, personable, charming, thoughtful, vulnerable, and an artist. A fantastic writer, director, actor, and collaborator. I got to know Jason in class every week, where the work was intimate and intense, and he went all in. And as he will tell us, his job at Sony TV became an act of artistry, something he needed if he was going to continue to work in what can be a soul-sucking industry or job. But he found another way. So listen to what he says about self-tapes, what he knows and doesn't know about your experience with self-tapes. But mostly, I want you to listen to his humanity. He's not some faceless power broker executive. He's a human being. Um, I'm going to share his impressive bio with you here so that you get a feel for his executive and production work and his journey. And our conversation with him will show you the incredible human being and artist he is, which gives us all hope for our industry. Jason Claudefelter, a 16-year-plus SPE veteran, serves as co-president of Sony Pictures Television Studios the production arm of SP's television business. In his position, Jason oversees all creative aspects of the television studio, including U.S. drama and comedy development, U.S. scripted and current programming, global programming and development, talent and casting, movies and miniseries, Gemstone Studios, Affirm Television, and TriStar Television. I mean, that is a lot. Under Claude Felder's Purview as co-president, the studio has produced multiple high-profile scripted series for broadcast cable and streaming outlets, including The Boys, Cobra Kai, Wheel of Time, Outlander, The After Party, Black Monday, Them, The Blacklist, For All Mankind, The Good Doctor, SWAT, and Better Call Saul. Prior to serving as co-president, Jason was the executive vice president of U.S. drama development and programming for Sony Pictures Television, spearheading the development and production of titles such as Breaking Bad, Damage, Drop Dead, Diva, Justified, Preacher, Sneaky Pete, and Masters of Sex. 
Prior to joining SBT in 2006, he served as Vice President of Development for Spelling Television, where he developed the series Wanted and Saving Grace. And earlier in his career, Jason was the producer behind the short film's Crabgrass Manifesto, which screened at the Sundance Film Festival, and Something Close to Heaven, written and directed by Oscar winner Dustin Lance Black, which made its television debut on the Sundance Channel. He studied film and TV at USC School of Cinematic Arts and shortly thereafter began his career at John Wells Productions, where he owes much of his training to acclaimed director Paris Barkley. So take that in, everybody, and we're excited to welcome and talk to Jason Klotfelter. Hi, Jason. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hi. How are you? <laughs> it got very Terry Gross there. Hello. It did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thank you for being here. No, thank you. I'm um, I'm excited to be here. It's been way too long since I've been in the studio. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, we've been away for a while ourselves, so <laughs> we are in the physical space, just so our audience here is here in Studio B, yeah. which is important that we do this in person, you know, not Completely. just on Zoom. Um, so what is it about being here? What is it about coming back here for you that speaks to you at all? Well, I think you know, you know, I... Um, I studied with you for about a year and a half, uh-huh. and it came in a very interesting time in my life. I, um, you know, I, I, we can get to sort of my journey in a, in a few minutes, but you know, having moved out here to be an artist of some sort, there was an actor or a writer and creative producer. I was very fortunate because I ultimately found myself on a path of being an executive, and then um, kind of went up through the studio system. And there was somewhere around 2018 where I was. You know, about a year and a half into my current position, which is co-president of Sony Pictures Television, where I felt very removed from everything I aspired to be. Um, in the sense where I just was was more of a management job, much more of a, you know, manning the business and didn't feel like in the weeds of the creative anymore. And so I need to figure out, all right, how do I access that? And kind of find myself and my voice again. And um, I think it was Mark Valera who actually referred me to you too. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember the look on your face when I came and audited a class. And then afterwards, I like, have no desire to act. <laughs> just want to be here and be around it and just kind of feel the energy of it and see where it takes me. Um, you're very, um, very kind and, um, and, and giving and allowed me to do the class. And I just felt like I kind of came alive again, you know? being surrounded by um, your your community and watching these amazing artists kind of find their own voice. And I think for me, it was really about um, affording me the opportunity to kind of just fall back in love with the industry, to be honest. Um, and so how did that, how did coming to class and being among artists and being one yourself, because yeah. you did get up and act. I did. <laughs> and you were really, it was lovely, you know, and, 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 and then creating work together. So how did that lead to falling back in love with the industry? You know, I think it just put me in a place where I was very inspired by what I saw. And on one hand, overwhelmed by how much talent there is out there. And that in itself, I think, put me in a position where I just found empathy to the process mm. and sort of was able to like look at everything through the, through the point of view of how much work and effort it took to arrive at that. Um, because I think... You know, we're in a, for the most part, most studios are in sort of a volume business of one kind or another. So your um, tons of submissions, whether they're scripts or we do 50 productions a year and about 34, 35 different scripted series. So, you know, what we're exposed to any given week <laughs> is an insane amount of material and, um, and it starts to feel a little bit like a machine. And right, for right, the right. first, gosh, I would say, I don't know. 13, 14 years at Sony, I'd never felt that way. It felt very much like a boutique, wonderful, as it is, creative environment. And then I just got lost a little bit as my role changed and I needed to figure out who I was in that role and how to be me in that role. And I think coming here, you know, really allowed me to find my voice and actually like, you know what, I can focus on the business and I can compartmentalize and I can still do that with empathy and respect and understanding for the process 
for the community at large and not get lost in, you know, what it was to make your fiscal year and, you know, little things. And suddenly I'm like, oh, wow, this is <laughs> this has been brought to my life and I'm not just developing TV shows anymore. Right. Um, and, you know, I say all that also recognizing how fortunate I am. It's an amazing job. I work with incredible people and I've been there for 16 years. And uh, the reason why is I love the product and I love the people I work with. And at the end of the day, we're making television shows. We're making, I, I like to believe, really incredible ones. Um, as is, I think, much of the community. You know, there's a lot of great stuff out there. It's been, it's been great. And so, you know, long-winded way of saying that no, not I at all. kind of found, I felt like I found myself again when I came back to class, <laughs> which oh, I hadn't I love done. so much. But I want to underline, though, that, yeah. like, because, you know, we, we all know folks who are in the industry and who maybe at five years old started with artistic right. interests and then that led to business and then that's where they stayed. Um, but the courage, I suspect, required to be at that precipice and say, like, am I going to is this what this is now? Let me just settle in and, you know, like yeah. uh, coast. Um, but there was something gnawing at you that thought, like, I have to do something about this. Um, I often find that, like, the fancier actors who are coming off the TV shows who, who who get to that place or take mm-hmm. some hits and then come back to class. Like there's actually more courage required to do that than to come back from, because it requires a beginner's mentality. Yes. So what took you to that place? And, and is it that through line back to when you were, you know, starting and all this and thought like, wait a minute, like I need to get back to that. Yeah, I think so. You know, um, I will start with, I was so nervous <laughs> when I entered this, this building, or actually it was the old building the first time, yeah. um, and I was shocked, like, oh my gosh, I am <laughs> the most nervous I've been in years um, trying, you know, uh, just going through the process because it's such a vulnerable feeling, especially, I think, when you've kind of left it for a little bit and then you come back. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, for me, it was, well, actually, maybe I'll transition a little bit into how I came to LA. Yeah, yeah, and that yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Some of that. Part of your journey because it, it speaks to that. Yeah. 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 So uh, we moved around every two to three years growing up. And very, very young age, I uh, became obsessed with Hollywood, you know, through acting. I think I was five or six when my parents took me to go see Star Wars. And I was obsessed with Luke Skywalker. This is the original. <laughs> um, and like, you know, most kids of, of that generation or are. And um, long story short, my mom said, well, you can't be Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker is an actor. And she sat me down at six and kind of explained what that was. And so then all I wanted to do was act. And you know, moving around Connecticut, Indiana, uh, Texas, just Diamond Bar, California, all different places, the only like constant thing was, oh, you can you know, act at this little theater community and, and such. And so that was you know, meant to be sort of everything I wanted to do. And I studied acting for about a year at Ithaca College in New York and absolutely loved it, but too badly wanted to be out here and pursuing all of this. And I dropped out and uh, moved out to Los Angeles. And I was 19, fresh off the boat. And I mean, in retrospect, when I look at the photos, I don't know what my parents were thinking. I looked like I was 14. But <laughs> I, um, I treated it like a job. And honestly, went to two or three different acting classes nonstop. I would take the backstage, I think they're called, little newspaper, and like submit myself to everything and treated it like a nine to five job. And did you know produced um, uh, showcases and left and right and had an amazing time and then throughout that process I started to learn about the business itself and because I wasn't in college I was fortunate where I you know built a community um, through through uh, a different acting class and then also just being gay sometimes it's easier to find a community when you're young and gay and you know everybody's kind of moved out here to either escape or find themselves mm-hmm. um, especially in the 90s. And um, I was just started to get exposed to other aspects of the business. And so kind of the ups and downs of that um, for about three, four, maybe five years. And I remember it clearly. Uh, I was uh, at a under five role on uh, the original 90210 for a Christmas episode. It was 105 degrees in Van Nuys. I was dressed as an elf selling (laughs) a Christmas tree to Ian Ziering's character. And I afterwards, I'm like, you know what? This is not fulfilling anymore. And it was, it was actually had a lot going on. I booked a play and a commercial. And for me, I realized I just wanted a little bit more control over my career. Mm. Um, And while I loved 
actually acting class and rehearsing and studying, I didn't like the pursuit of it. And I wish there's a lot of things I knew, um, I know that I know now that I knew then. I would get way too nervous in auditions. Um, I could do the one-on-one, the two, you know, the audition. Like, I couldn't audition if there was, like, four or five, six people in the room. When there used to be. Yes, when there used to be. Like all those studio executives in the room. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I would just, like, fold into (laughs) myself. And um, and that period of time, you know, I just started kind of writing and having a, a really fun time doing that. And um, went back to school and studied film and television uh, at USC and graduated from there. And was fortunate because I had produced a couple short films outside of school, actually. And one went to Sundance and one went to the Sundance um, uh, television channel. And where were you? How old were you about that? I was 25-ish, wow. right around there. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. is there something in you, though? Because a lot of actors, again, can can be in that place of pursuit yeah. and, and not get to that place of also I'm producing showcases. Also, I'm thinking about the business or creating communities in and around and the business. Films, was that yeah. something inside yeah, of you? Yeah, I, I probably skipped a valuable part. I was no, obsessed. Right. No, I was obsessed with television at such a young age. You know, like now kids today play fantasy uh, football. Yeah. I mean, third grade, I was playing fantasy scheduling. Wow. I would take the ratings, I would clip them, create my own schedule board, wow. and in and, and oh, my crazy little okay. head, pit shows against another and come up with, I don't know how, <laughs> but a whole new like you know television um, programming schedule. And so, <laughs> which um, is what you're doing which now? Which is what I'm oddly kind of doing now yeah, from a studio yeah, seller's yeah. perspective. Yeah. And then on top of that, you know, at 18, Ithaca College, you know, would get the daily trades, and I'd always go to the library and read them. And then when I moved here, um, the one thing I subscribed to right away was Hollywood Reporter and um, Variety, and you know, their daily, which was really expensive back then. It was the one thing yeah. I knew I needed, and so <laughs> I would just read them and write them up and take notes and just studied it without even knowing because I had such a passion for it. Mm. And then, you know, jumping ahead a little bit, um, when I started to pursue writing, and this is actually when I guest speak at um, colleges for writers and and such, one of the things that actually prepared me to be an executive, um, however, I was doing it to learn how to write, every television show I watched, I would sit there and take notes. And I would sit there and just write the beat of that scene. Really? So then at the end of the episode, I would be able to, like, oh, that's the A story beats brought out like that and the B story. And then that's how they did it. Or that's where they maybe missed a beat and then they get there. And I would just sit there and just. And like, this came from you. Um, I'm sure somebody advised me to do it, but I got into the habit and really enjoyed it. Yeah. And, you know, that was sort of the era of when, um, you know, broadcast was kind of the only game in town, right. maybe a couple of cable shows. Um, and so the rhythm of television was very structured. And you were, I was always looking towards, well, how do they build to that act break and make it fulfilling or not? And again, that was when I was um, striving to, to write. And um, I had a writing partner who's incredibly successful now and um, very thankful for because he taught me so much in terms of structure and story and plotting. Chris Fife is his name. <laughs> and, um, and I was able to take that when I transitioned to be an executive. But there was a difference between Chris and myself at that time. Chris had to wake up every morning and write. I had to wake up every morning and know and be in the business. Mm. Um, so and, as this is happening, yeah. as you're leaning in this direction, is there any part of you that feels like a loss of the identity as an actor or uh, some sort you know, of, yeah, go ahead. When I was, when I was aware of what I was doing and sort of transitioning to other things, um, no. But were those moments that led up to it where I'd be watching something and longing to be on it and suddenly feel that I was crying? Yes. You yeah. know, you, you feel the pain when you're watching people succeed and you haven't figured that out yet. Um, and I think that's where it all sort of um, led to that 90210 Christmas Elf moment. Right. What's where, like, you know, I was able to see and watch things like, I'm all right, because I don't enjoy that in my daily life anymore. Mm. And that's what it was. And that's why I felt good about, I could never leave the business, but I felt good about finding um, a different place for myself. And, you know, the other thing I always say when I speak at these classes is it's an amazing town. And business, it's hard. It's incredibly hard to find your place or where it feels right for you. But there really is a place for everybody. And I 100% believe that. And it's just allowing yourself to kind of not get trapped in your the history that you created for yourself and allow yourself to kind of evolve and change. And like, you know what? 
I thought that was going to make me happy, but I, it it it's, it's not. And I, I think you know, in the grand scheme of it all, especially coming outside of the the pandemic and everything we've all gone through, or still in it, but just a different way. Um, you know, life balance and striving to be comfortable in your own skin and be working and being happy. I think is sometimes um, something that's really hard to focus on as an artist. Because you feel like there's all this pressure to yeah. quote unquote make, and it. also if you've committed, like you like you're committed to an actor's life. This is my journey, yes. you know. Then you would be, even though it's it's hard and you feel like you're failing often, mm-hmm. you know, you can't help that sometimes. To give that up feels like you're losing a limb, yeah. like it's lo- like you're losing your soul. Yeah, you know, for so many people, and it's really hard. We talk about that a lot. And the last interesting, the last few podcasts have been about that. You know, what is it like to give that up for something else or to transition or to add to mm-hmm. your arsenal of, of creative expression? Um, so, yeah. And it was, you know, I really did treat it like a job. So when I started to figure out how to find my voice in other aspects of the business, I didn't look back with any regret. I felt like, OK, I did everything I, I could. And it just wasn't my time, and that's all right. And then I took my, off the elf suit. Yeah. <laughs> maybe my time would have been 20 years later. But you know, right, for me, right. it's like, all right. Yeah. Um, and then in the, the writing phase of my, my um, career, I uh, had that moment when I looked at Chris. So I'm like, all right, we have two very different approaches to this. And I loved sitting there together and coming up with a story and you know, talking through story and then dividing like outlines or material and such. Um, and we had uh, we had uh, we wrote an episode of a sitcom that was produced and had sold a couple pilots to studios that ultimately didn't go. Um, but I really enjoyed it. And then I think in that, and I was working for an incredible two incredible directors under the John Wells banner, uh, Paris Barclay and Nelson McCormick, and they had both respective overall deals at John Wells Productions. Yeah. That's where I really discovered what it was to be uh, a creative executive. John and his team were amazing. And I was fortunate because everywhere Paris went, for better or for worse, he brought me. So if he was on set at 3 a.m., I was on set at 3 a.m. But really kind In of... In what old, capacity? Um, at, uh, at that point as an assistant yep. to Paris. And um, I was fortunate because, you know, you're, you're just learning so much as you watch other people work and watch it all come together if you choose i should say i guess if you choose to like sitting there and actively learn you know there's so much that you can really um take away from that experience and then that was where i um i realized you know what i think the executive path's the right path for me um and i felt good about it and i loved giving friends notes on their scripts and I just love that experience and, and working with um, talent and actors and, and directors who are who I was obviously working and assisting. And um, I, somewhere after-ish, four years in the John Wells Productions world, um, I was able to transition into um, Aaron Spelling, what ultimately became like the last two-ish years of Full his circle. life. circle. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Full circle. circle. <laughs> the 90210 um, L uh, episode. And, Did you talk um, about that? Uh, we did, actually. Yeah. He, um, in my interview for him as an executive, let's see if I can get this. It's been a while since I've told this story. But my interview with him as an executive, he um, said, you seem so familiar. And it, it, was, sort <laughs> of a, it was a sort of a trick question because he had like, all my resume, uh, not sure, 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 Google sure. or, or yeah, whatever yeah. he did. So yeah. he knew everything. And, well, I was really fortunate because I actually had met you at a holiday party and you got me an audition with Pam Shea. Was that right? Was that who did his casting? I don't remember. I don't remember yeah, either. Yeah. I was horrible. And, um, and then I got this episode. So, you know, obviously my life has taken a change. And so we're, we're interviewing and, and he was you know very on top of it. Very just witty, smart man. Um, and, um, it's actually a longer story. I'm gonna, I'll skip the story. But it was an amazing experience, and it all sort of worked out. Um, and I worked there for almost two years. And where was that? Like, that was in the... 5750 Variety Building on... No, um, no, I mean, what, what time? It... Oh, what time? That was 2004 to six, oh, okay. right okay. around there. Was, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was under two years. And then um, I, uh, well, I was laid off, and, and they were beginning to fold the company, and they kept the department heads. 
and uh, I started kind of looking for a job and I was so so fortunate Sharon Hall who was running drama at Sony Pictures Television um, hired me as a VP of development in the drama team mm. and I think at that time we had six seven shows on air wow. um, between cable and broadcast and uh, we were just having the time of our life and mm. had an amazing ride and Sharon was there I think we worked together for seven or eight years and then Suzanne Patmore Gibbs may she rest in peace was there for um, a few years with me and then um, I ran co-ran drama with Chris Parnell who's now over at Apple mm-hmm. and then you know, we had um, been in this position for the last Five years. But you've been there 16 years. 16 years. That's a long time it to is stay a long somewhere. Time. <laughs> yeah. So what kept you there all that time? You know... Or keeps you there? Yeah. We're, well, we're an independent studio. So on one hand, it makes our job a lot harder, especially in today's business. Nobody's really doing us a favor um, anymore. Uh, we have to, and our, our, our development teams have to earn, and our writers, every sale. Um, and I think it's that scrappy underdog feeling that uh has just always connected with me mm. you know i uh, i've always felt a little bit like an outsider in the business i don't know if it's just the indiana upbringing or or, or what it is um as much as i've always been obsessed with it i've always felt like an underdog a little bit of an outsider and, and that's sort of the sony brand um, on one hand and because we work with so many different um so many different you know, writers and and, and and auspices uh we have shows everywhere and I love that, you know, I can be involved in something like, you know, Cobra Kai and the Goldbergs, and then at the same have like Better Call Saul and the Boys and Wheel of Time and, and all these, you know, and The Good Doctor. There's such a wide range, range of programming yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Um, however, they all come to it slightly out of center, whether it's through tone or through character. And that's fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And it's as an executive. And then I think, you know, in that, um, I like to believe we're, you know, in business with like the best creators in town who really just um, know their voice, mm. and and it's fun. It's and and I truly enjoy the people that I work with. Mm. So so from an actor standpoint, um, yes. who may uh, think of you as this shadowy figure behind the curtain or whatever, right? Like right. because they don't know what you do, right? So like, what do you do? What I do? Like uh, first, what's, I want to say your day? one what's of your the things day? I wish I knew then. Um, that I know now, and this is even true in my early executive days, I think the, the, the people behind the curtain, we put them up on a pedestal. Yeah. And there's no reason. It doesn't matter what level you are. There's no reason because everybody's job is hard. And you and I have talked about this a little bit. And you know, I think sometimes actors forget what the day of the casting director has been mm. and how many hurdles you know the casting director has gone through between the studio or the network or the agents. And I think everybody's sort of just, you know, it's a hard business, but it's a wonderful business. And I think, you know, the reality is everybody's working towards the same thing you know for the most part you know i think there's a lot of good people in the business and um and i really wish i you know i wish i didn't get nervous in the room because it wasn't whether i was prepared or not that made me nervous it was that i put the people i was in front of on a pedestal well the reason is and you know this and just to say this just to remind ourselves is that you are a decision maker. So I'm an actor yes. and I want a job and you have that job and you're either going to give it to me or not. And what do I have to do to get that job? So I'm like the little dog and you've got the treat. And I like, do I sit? Do I stand? Do I roll over? Right. Do you rub my tummy? Like, please help me. So then you have power because you can give right. me the job. That's what we all think. And so then we make you important and omnipotent and on this throne and behind the curtain and all those you know things that you become dehumanized. You know, because you have all of this, you have the power to give us a job, make us whole, right. determine our success, and then you, and and there is the mystery of what exactly you do. So I just want to remind <laughs> Go back us. To all, what do I do? <laughs> no, but but remind us all. You know what yeah. what that means to be human in this. Like, what are the things you're challenged by? Like, I can't call you up and say as much as I'd like to. Hey, Jason, you know, can you make this happen for me? Right. You know, because I know what your what your deal is. You know, and and what your your struggles are, and your challenges are, and your day day to day is. And I think it's important that we all keep remembering that. Yeah, and I think. Um... You know, I, I think the process uh, on, on 
one hand, although you'll have better context than I would, I would imagine it's a little bit easier now with the self-tapes because you're allowed to just focus on the work and then the tape goes out there. Um, easier for the actor? I would think, right? No. Yeah, the opposite, because they're feeling the isolation of it. They're feeling oh zero God, yeah. feedback. They're feeling no direction. It, it creates this vacuum in which you have to be the director and also the camera operator right. and all that kind of stuff. And the editor and all right. of that. You so know, and make, a lot and of challenges. Have, there's no... There's no uh, collaboration. It's so isolating, and you're being asked sometimes impossible things. Sixteen pages by tomorrow. Right, no, that's horrible. And and there, and there's no feedback ever. Right. And so you're like, wh- whether it goes you're into a vacuum. you're in a total vacuum, and we hear it like we hear trauma from mm. actors about Ex- it. Except you're you're right, and in, in that. Uh, like not having to drive for two hours and then right. park like you know a thirty minute walk oh, from so the like, we all that kind see of stuff. So many more people. That's right. As a result, which is it. good and bad, right? The technology yeah. allows for the volume, but also then you uh, feel like you're you feel yeah. like you're just throwing these things into yeah. the ocean. Yeah. Um, so you feel like you know I'm doing this. I'm throwing this into the ocean. Like there's nobody seeing it. It's just like, it, and I know that bad. there are 500 other people. And so what's the what's the point? You know, and so we can get to that in a little right. bit. Like, what what do you see that you respond to in a self tape from your, mm-hmm. you know, when you finally get something that obviously has gone through certain filters, the casting director, and then mm-hmm. to the showrunner, you know, et cetera, or producers, and then you get whatever that is to look at what you respond to. But but just to know, and it's so interesting because I was having the same conversation recently with a friend of mine who's a director, and he's Eddie Bianchi, who's mm-hmm. you know been around forever, and and he was like, oh, I, you know, isn't it great for actors students? And he he didn't understand when I when I like I am there delivering the trauma. Oh. It's like didn't know that you know, and so I just just it's interesting because it's it can be it wouldn't it be great if we could just look at it as yeah I get to go home and you know produce yeah. a record for myself right. you know make some music do a dance you do a painting like but it's not it feels like a collaborative art and it's been stripped away into an isolated experience and and people are really really challenged by that no, that's a good point i don't really think of it through that yeah, i know i know so but knowing that you don't which yeah. is so interesting yeah. that your response is how great you know that people get to just go home and create right. just actors like this is hear this because that's not only what you see or but you expect and want yeah no it's a, I'm a little caught off guard um because i i i, I there's aspects of it that i I think are challenging because, you know, it would be if two or three people came in live, we'd give a note and that person could do it again. And that's definitely harder with the self tape, but you know, we're, we're seeing a lot more tapes now. Sure. Right. Exposed to a lot more people. Um, Like how many tapes, let's say for a project or for a particular role, like how many tapes are you watching by the time it gets up to you? Well, we still treat it like a studio session. So, you know, there's the producer session, obviously, yeah. and then our casting department will narrow it down. And, right. you know, they still go through the process of negotiating the, the deal before it technically comes into to the executive mm-hmm. level. So when you watch it, you know that those people are locked in if you need them. Yes, exactly. Them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So four or five. Um, yeah, it tends yeah. to be around five, six yeah. now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, where I think in person would probably be three, four, and now it probably right. hovers around five to seven because it's a little And what bigger. if you can't, I'm, I'm thinking of something very yeah. specific, which we neither of us can say out loud here, but okay. <laughs> um, a, a role that just can't get cast on a show yeah. that it has to actually push its start date because it's a big, big recurring role. They can't find it. Do you then see that many more people? Because it's like, you know, we've got to keep looking. Yes. How involved are you in that? Well, in this role, I'm not quite as involved because yeah. you know our development team or current team or casting will yeah, go yeah. through it when I was in the development drama development ranks I and mean, one of the things again I loved about the self-tape was um, or even just the way cast it kind of changed everything was I could just sit there and just watch a hundred auditions and like hey we should go back to this person and, and it's like did you what was why did this person not you know get managed? Oh, I to love us? that. Yeah, and yeah, our right. teams do that too in the drama and the comedy and um, um, executives. And that I think is something that's also afforded more opportunities because you have that many more eyes going through it all. Because casting office can only handle so much. <laughs> you know, there's just what two, three of you when you're you know on something, and mm-hmm. then you know, but you have these um, everything's accessible, mm-hmm. and I think that is um, you know that's been. We have actually gone back and we have hired numerous people who weren't managed to us initially. And it's no fault of anybody's. It's just sometimes, you know, sometimes it's, well, like 
any aspect of this. Sometimes you're just in a mood when you read something and you don't respond to it. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. when you watch somebody, like, I'm not in the mood for that right now. Um, so, so just to go there yeah. now for a second, but I want to come back to what you do every yeah. day. Question that's we're getting there. Yeah, yeah, we're getting there. But just a little bit of a, of, a, of a sidebar. But so what is it when you go back in and mm-hmm. you go, okay, I'm going to watch a bunch of tapes that are up on Cast It. Um, what is it that you respond to? What What makes you stop and go, I want to know more about that person, or can we see that person again? What is it? What is the thing that you, as an artist now, because mm-hmm. you are an artist and executive in the same, what what is what do you see that you say I want more? You know, it's the, it's uh, we all have our allergies, you know, to <laughs> um, a process sometimes, and for me, it's when I don't see the wheels spinning. And it feels very just honest and vulnerable, and it doesn't matter what the tone is. Um, and um, just genuine. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's mm-hmm. clear enough because it's hard. You kind of know it when you see it. Uh, so what does that make you feel when you watch it? What do you see? Like, what does it do to you? It pulls you in. Okay. You know, it pulls you in. And I will say, and it's, it's, it's the old cliche, you sort of know who you're going to lean into right away at the top. Hmm. You really do. And um, I hate that, having that I say that, but having been in the class and gone through it in the past, we all know that sometimes you know, the, the nerves or the moment's not always authentic at the top, and you find it, and it becomes beautiful and wonderful. But when you're watching it and you're comparing it and you're already created a fictional character in your mind of who this person needs to fulfill, you know, it is those first few beats, those first few moments that really make you um, lean in. Hmm. Uh, people can still win. It's just, yeah. you know, that is yeah. that cliche. What's so interesting to me is because uh, just sitting across from you here, I get the sense that you're a sensitive human being. And you talk about like the, your beginnings in artistry and, and maybe parallel or woven into that, the, the, the passion for business for sure. But, but how do you navigate that understanding and having the empathy for actors and artists um, being moved on an emotional level by a tape, but then also being moved by an emotional level and having compassion for multiple tapes, multiple actors doing right. multiple tapes? How do you then, is it a different hat? Is it a, it is a switch? I'm feeling that. And also I'm accountable to shareholders or like whatever <laughs> the thing is. Um, what's that balance for you? You know, it, it's, it's a collaborative business. You know, we are um, very um, in it with our creators. And at the end of the day, it's ultimately their decision. You know, there are very few moments I, I ever remember impeding somebody going to the next step, which is network or you know the streamer. Um, so if our if our creators believe in somebody, and you know, often we'll say, well, can we throw in? I mean, at the end of the day, whoever they have to be comfortable to gets to roll. So it's a nice exchange and dialogue um, of who we ultimately submit to that next step, but. It, I, I am actually, as you asked me that, I'm trying to remember the last time we truly impeded somebody going to the next step. And I, I don't think we have. I think we're just, it's the, I like to believe, or at least from my seat, it's become so much more of an artist friendly business because there's so many people out there, so many places to sell to, so many buyers out there. There's such a competition for talent. And whether you're the studio who sells or the buyer, you want you, you want to put out there that, you know what, it's you who I want to be my creative partner, and let's figure this out together, and you're the voice I'm investing in. And so I have to trust your vision. And so with that, and you know, part of it's just because I'm remembering those the 90s and the early 2000s when everything was so broadcast oriented and there was it was so draconian on who <laughs> could get approved or not approved right. and i remember the live casting sessions where so and so president would like <laughs> i don't want to see that person i mean these really dramatic it's just not like that anymore mm. you know and i think it's because all these these streamers in particular have so many creative executives and so many people really in the weeds and involved in the process and on one hand like wow there's a lot more people but on the other hand i think it's really it's 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 allowed the community as a whole to take a lot more, um, I don't want to say risk, but a lot more, uh, afford a lot more opportunities without overthinking it. Mm. Um, and for you, just piggybacking on what Steve was saying, 
when for you, like, how do you balance your own creative heart and the hard, cold business itself? Is it is it that you go? Because I know for me, left brain, mm-hmm. right brain, I do, I can change it, but it's 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 been a lot of work to get there. So for you, what is that balance? That the dance between the guy who's going to the, the kid who's going to class and loving it, and right. also at you know at night doing his, you know schedules right you know <laughs> you know for um for me again as a studio executive it's a little bit different because uh, we're not ultimately in control of you know who's getting cast or it's and again it's a partnership as we you know uh, well i guess we do we, we start the creative process and then we go sell the material so for me where it's really hard is when there's people i believe in and their voice and after x amount of attempts and it hasn't proven success it's hard to continue that investment because um, you know we make overall term deals, or you know we'll do continued blind scripts with somebody and figure it out together. But it's there's it's it's really heartbreaking when you believe in somebody, but your business has changed. Uh, we don't at this point do a lot of broadcast comedy anymore, and there's a handful of people who I just think are so so talented, but broadcast comedy is hard for our business model on top of there's not a lot of other places who are kind of emulating that and so that's just an example where it's you know it can be um heartbreaking as you like believe Mm. in somebody like i can't renew your deal or i can't continue to invest you know in this these scripts do you have those conversations with people personally is that something that you yeah yeah. as a sensitive person i do my best to follow up and just say i'm really sorry and just talk them through it to how much um, does that suck it's the worst. Yeah, it's it's the worst. It's the hardest the hardest yeah. call. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's the hardest call. Where do you see whether it's post pandemic or, or or anything else? Where do you see the business going in the next five to ten years, and specifically for actors, if you can offer that? Um, I think there's going to continue to be a crazy amount of opportunities, um, and you know whether we're at peak or coming down from peak, you know. At the end of the day, there's still going to be probably somewhere between I don't know, 400 and 600 scripted shows, depending where you are in that. I think what we are seeing, and this is, I think, impacts the middle class, whether you're an actor or you're a writer, is budgets are going to come down. You know, likely to enter a recession. You know, all these um, conglomerates um, have invested in streaming, and that's a huge investment. Mm. You know, there's always going to be your Game of Thrones, your Lord of the Rings, your The Boys, Wheel of Time um, shows, but then there's there's got to, it's got to course correct because there is so much money being thrown at so many different TV shows that never landed or registered. So I think as a community, we've been financially really, you know, just irresponsible. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's really, it's just ballooned. It's, it's ballooned. Yeah. And, um, you know, as people have cut back, you've also discovered really beautiful, wonderful shows that um, were affordable and still penetrated the marketplace, whether it was like something like Atypical or uh, I May Destroy You or Normal People, all these wonderfully intimate, beautiful shows. Um, but going back, I, I think there's going to continue to be a lot of opportunities for all artists. Um, I fear, though, and I'm sure next year in terms of the unions and the renegotiations, it's it's going to be scary because I think there's a lot of middle class. It's hard for the middle class talent. You know, those roles aren't um, as paid as much as they used to be mm-hmm. or the writers aren't. The are paid as much as the mega deals, and so that's where I think um, we got to find the balance a little bit more. And where's the opportunity in that? If there is artistic opportunity, um, I think in some ways it actually creates opportunity for the newer voices. You know, yeah. uh, those who just want to work. <laughs> um, it's the ones who have created and formed a career all these years, where it's harder to earn a living on eight episodes or 10 episodes. You know, we were a system that sort of was built on 20 and 22 episodes. And then now, you know, I don't, yeah, it was season regular is eight episodes. And whether you're a writer or you're, you're an actor, yeah, it sounds like it's a good living when you're making X amount of dollars times eight, but 
they take a lot longer to produce yeah. and for the most part um, people are exclusive and can do guest stars but it's really hard it's really hard to um, create, a, create a life yeah. with that those limitations yeah um, just I, what, if you're sort of a young or not even so young because I know a lot of actors are going through a real reckoning during and since the, the pandemic has hit so in a way that I don't know where my place is anymore mm-hmm. because we've all been questioning or dealing with that in some way like what is it for somebody like we were talking this morning you she said how was class this yeah. morning right and I just said and I felt that like they're, they're in there creating amazing work not young actors but they they're they realize that they need to create stuff what do you say what what do you say to them you know an, an actor who wants to do more or an actor who's uh, wants to figure out how to get mm-hmm. attention paid to them mm-hmm. like what's what is your thought about their journey in this yeah and on one hand it, I don't mean to make it sound easy because I know it's a lot harder than this but it's just got to do it I think so many people take advantage or for granted how little time there is or how much time there is to actually do something. <laughs> and I think it's just, you know, write it, film it. Back in back in my day, uh, you know, you had to shoot something on 35 or 16, and it was such an expensive yeah. process. You can pick up your freaking phone now and create a great little movie. And it doesn't matter if it materializes in anything or not, but you're exercising that skill set, that craft. And I can't tell you how many writers or friends I've known over the years who don't write every day. It goes back to like when I looked at Chris. I'm like he writes every day. He has to write every single day. I did not. Well, you know what? Maybe I wasn't meant to be a writer. Um, and everybody has their own process, and I don't mean that in a judgment way. I just think you know, there's, there's so much opportunity. On one hand, I think the opportunity feels overwhelming because um, you have all these avenues to produce your own content, and it feels like how do you navigate that? And I actually can't speak to that because that's not something I really know or understand anymore. All I can say in a general sense is if you want to write, write every day. If you want to direct, pick up the phone, shoot a little something. doesn't matter if it makes sense or not. Use, you know, play around with the lenses, play around with, you know, the editing on your, your laptop, um, play around with just how you're going to frame it. You're going to push, push in on something or not. Are you going to do it static or are you going to do it? You know, there's so many things you can just challenge yourself with. Mm. Um, and I think, and I'm also, I know I'm saying a little bit, uh, uh, that's coming from um, just I'm blown away how time, how fast time goes by. Mm. And I think in that, there's just it's just so easy to kind of blink and realize it's two or three years later and what have you done? Yeah. You know, and I mean it from looking in, like what have you take responsibility or culpability? Like what have you done? What were you able to do? You're talented, you're driven, and you're willing to do what it takes to achieve the success you dream of. But like, what exactly should you do? Like, What are the specific actions that you must take in order to elevate your career to the next level? Well, BGB's Career Masterclass Series is the answer to, frankly, all of your industry questions. We are here to give you the totality of our decades of experience in the industry. All of the tips, advice, inspiration, and latest industry intel that we earn from real-world experience at every level of the business. And we're on the ground right now, assessing the changes so that we can offer you everything you need to succeed. Yeah, yeah, we're here to guide you step-by-step through every aspect of the industry, showing you our tested, our proven method to grow your career and really take ownership of it. From getting an agent to your marketing materials to the kind of booking mindset that you need, self-tape strategies, how to get casting directors to find you, and so much more. BGB's career masterclasses are all you need to stay focused, informed, and inspired so you can have the acting career you deserve. We're offering amazing live online masterclasses regularly, plus live on-demand classes, all at affordable prices. We want you to have all the tools you need to take your career to the next level and enjoy doing it with confidence and authority. So go to our website links shared in each podcast episode show notes or find the links on our Instagram bio and join us for our next live BGB career masterclass or one of our live on demands. We'll see you there. What do you do? What do I do? (laughs) In your job. (laughs) 
I do a little bit of everything. Part of me hopes we get sidelined again, and that that question stays (laughs) open. Stays open. We never answer it. Yeah. Um, I will give you a little bit of context of what I did for the first 12 or 11 years. Okay. Because that was primarily 100% creative. And then how it has evolved and how it's I still am fortunate where I'm able to be creative. So my early executive days um, up to being co-head of drama – um, it was, it's an amazing job. You know, you, every day you listen to a pitch or you'd read something and you get a general meeting with that writer. Um, we, um, are always optioning material, whether it's you know, script or formats or, um, IP through magazine articles or life rights. And we're just always looking for ideas and we're talking to our producers who we have deals with. Uh, we operate from a place where we, um, take a good idea from anybody. You know, um, we're really transparent with our talent, with our writers list, um, and we're really transparent with our IP because we do try to treat those in the Sony family as like a theater rep, you know, community, and we encourage people to kind of work together. So um, we're always trying to figure out like what of our production companies would actually benefit from working with mm. one another. So you have as a young creative executive young not by age but you know by um where you are in your career you have your own little businesses that you're managing you know i would have um writers i covered and producers and directors i covered and work with them to figure out what their creative slate would be and so it was the onus is on us to make sure whether you're noting something or generating um something that could materialize into a show that it's informed by everything you read everything you watch it's all subjective at the end of the day as you know you know it's just it's creative it's subjective but you got to make sure it's informed by something and so i i i do believe you got to you know be relatively up on the news as long as it doesn't like put you in a downward <laughs> spiral emotionally <laughs> but you got to like know what's going on in the world and um, in the art, artist community as well and, and um, would develop TV shows with the writer and go out there and sell them to different um, networks and then hope that they go through the process and get produced. Um, and then would you then you would supervise them if so something gets goes all the way you, you've sold it now to a network. Yes. Um, then you oversee it. You oversee it yeah. and obviously you um, have network partners but you're working with the talent to bring it to life whether it's through what director you had or as you cast it or where you're going to shoot it you know who the production designer is I mean you're really you're, you're representing the studio who's producing mm. um, the show with your talent and it's wonderful and we are um, Sony it's not a hierarchical place and it's also not a um, departmental place. Everybody kind of rolls up their sleeves and get their hands dirty together. And so there's always a little war room going on, like how are we going to solve this crisis or, you know, working with our casting department, our production department, how are we going to, how are we going to mitigate the, the overages on the, the budget? Um, so it's a wonderful, basically one-on-one how to be a producer boot camp as you rise up the ranks through. Um, uh, Sony. Sounds then, fun. Yeah, it's a blast. Yeah. It's a wonderful gift of a job, truly. And, and how do you succeed in that? What what considers because you did succeed and moved through the ranks for several years. So what what constitutes success in that? Well, I think the you know it is as a creative executive, you have to remember it's not your show. Your objective is to make the writer show the best that can be. You know, I, I, without naming the show, uh, there was a, many years ago, there was a show that I had the best time with. Um, the writer would come in and we would beat out the episode together. I'm like, oh my God, this is incredible. But you know what? It's not. It's the, the it's not my show. <laughs> I shouldn't be like beating out the story with that person. It was a wonderful experience. But, in success, what we discovered is that writer didn't have the show within them. And so the, um, the objective is how do you, how do you guide um, without 
how do you guide, how do you help them find their voice, their point of view, tap into the themes, you know, point out where that's resonating, point out where it's not. But I think some of the worst executives out there, if I can be so melodramatic about it, is when they go in and they literally start to change dialogue mm. or they're trying to put their fingerprints all over it. And at the end of the day, like that's, that's not the role. Like mm. that's, that's, mm. that's, should not be what happens. So ultimately, are you then buying into the individual, the talent, more than yes. in the show? Yeah. 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 So if someone shows up with what you deem to be a mediocre show, but they have it, it may not be this one, but they have it, you'll invest in them? Yes. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Because cool. it's, you know, it's, the, it's the voice. It's the point of view. Um, you know, it's the story they have to tell, the passion for mm. that character or the themes and that they're able to see that may be universal, but they're able to see it from a different perspective. Mm. And so that's the kind of conversation and the stuff that um, is really just wonderful in terms of But again, in that, like that person doesn't have to be fully formed, right? Like you're saying there, there's something that you see about yes. them. Uh, forgive me, that, that, that particular show doesn't necessarily need to be fully formed. Right. You're going to allow for the space for it to form. Yeah. yeah. And you have to remember, we're the seller. We're the studio. Right. So things come into us much more raw. Sure. And um, it's always you know, great when you, you believe in that person and, and you know, everything sort of aligns. Um, but you know, we, we I'd like to believe at least that we're just use us as your partner and we'll, we'll work it on it with you and then bring out to the community. And I, th- and I, th- I love this because it's humanizing yeah, this right. for our audience, you know, like to okay. really hear this. It's, it's not the, it's not, as, it's not important that like, this is what you do every day from nine to five or eight, six right. AM to <laughs> midnight more likely, but like what, what this process is that, that is, you know, that humanizes it. And so then how did that evolve to where you are now? So now it's, um, I have wonderful teams. So just, as an independent studio, we have sort of a label system. So we have a drama team, a comedy team. We have Gemstone Studios, uh, who is sort of guerrilla, indie, low-cost approach to TV making. We have TriStar, which focuses on underrepresented voices. Um, we have a limit, <coughs> excuse me, MOW, and limited series department. And we have um, a firm, which is Faith and Family. And then we have Global, who is basically sort of the the um, liaison between our domestic talent and our international talent who most iconically do like the crown and um, sex education. So, <clears throat> excuse me, um, what I do now is sort of oversee all of that. And so I try to uh, look at it from a big picture perspective. You know, where are we over-indexing in something or under-indexing or is our volume too high or do we not have enough volume? So just sort of do it from a little bit more of a global perspective. Um, fortunate because I have a wonderful, wonderful team. And then on top of that, it's a lot of managerial. It's, you know, it's a lot of, shockingly, a lot of HR stuff. <laughs> and, you know, your financial planning, which in television and the studio side is a little bit different because you know, you're, you're making assumptions of how many shows are going to exist in the future. And so your financial plan is based on uh, making the numbers up. Like, oh, we're going to have, you know, 45 scripted shows in 2025. How far ahead do you go? We go about three years out. So, yeah, three fiscal years out. And it adjusts. And, you know, you kind of do a 50-50 approach. So Do you count for pandemics? Uh, no, you do not. <laughs> that that yeah. was a curveball. Right. <laughs> but now you do in terms of, like, added cost and, and sure. COVID costs and stuff, stuff like right. that. Um, but it's a lot of, like, managerial, um, which I really, uh, and thanks to you, actually, in your class, I found myself enjoying immensely. Mm. I think once I was able to... Um, I don't know, just, I guess, tap back into what I loved about the business, I realized, all right, I don't have to be actually in the weeds doing it every second of the day anymore. I can still have it in my life and be fulfilling and also really enjoy leading and helping other people grow in their jobs. And um, I like to look at it, whereas my objective for the team is how do I make your job easier? Mm. So whether it's getting something through the system or getting something over the line um, with one of our buyers, like how do I service you and make you successful as a development or a current executive or production or casting, you know, um, in in your department? So that's how I I, I look at it. Hmm. Or I 
yeah, that's the approach I like to take. Have you ever come across a role that made you think, I'd like to play that? And if someone offered you something, uh, <laughs> like now, would you take it? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> that's a tough question. Uh, only because I haven't even thought about that in years. Uh, no, I don't think of the roles like that when we audition. You didn't want to be Homelander? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I really, you know, because you're so in it from a creative perspective that uh, you just don't project yourself onto it. Hmm. Yeah, and then, um, and then in terms of it's like something magical ever presented itself. Uh, no, not from a career perspective, but yes, if I, if I found myself between jobs and it was fun to do something with an old friend, would I in a heartbeat, but no, <laughs> no, not, not from a pursuit. What's the most challenging thing you face right now? What are your biggest challenges that come up? That's a good question. Um, you know, I think the industry in some ways, despite as many shows and as many, um, I mean, we sold at 19 different you know, buyers. I think in some ways it's becoming smaller uh, because you have a lot of um, mergers. <laughs> you have a lot of, you know, I think there's going to be um, fewer streamers in a couple of years. And I think as an independent studio, you know, um, it becomes a little bit harder when there's not as many opportunities. We're still fortunate where we live in the broadcast space, the streaming space, cable. Uh, we obviously have Better Call Saul and we have Bob Odenkirk's next show, The Straight Man, based on a novel for AMC. And then we also um, uh, do programming for, for AVOD. So we have a lot of a lot of avenues for success and I think if you project you know three four five years out it's gonna shrink and that's a little nerve-wracking and I think when you see different agencies consolidate and mm. different you know studios and streamers consolidate then the power is in fewer places and that from my perspective is not good for anybody uh, but at the end of the day, if you're in business, from a business perspective, with the you know, best talent, people you believe in, and can continue to um, harness and manifest wonderful IP, then, again, I think everything will be fine. It'll just take a little course correction. One of uh, the, our purposes, I guess I said, our mission uh, is to bring the industry and artistry together mm -hmm. and to sort of promulgate artistic values, connection, listening, um, presence uh, back into the industry. And so uh, it's lovely just to speak with you here about these notions, but have it come from you who uh, are kind and sensitive and understand those notions that are struggling with uh, that balance, that epic struggle of the human experience, yeah. you know, between comparing and contrasting and getting everything in order and satisfying, you know, the financial aspects of all this and also being a human being. So, uh, appreciate that. Oh, it's, um, I, it's, I feel I'm very fortunate. I love my job. I love the community. And, um, I think most people do actually, I mm -hmm. think it goes back to like, sometimes when we put people on a pedestal, you project, uh, something onto them that, um, that, you know they're they're all business or they yeah. there's not a heart there you know again i go I, it, it's 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 especially television i say like that only because I, I know very little about the film business um but i love most people we work with like they really care if anything everybody's spread and pulled in too many different directions and there's too much volume and everybody's you know working around the clock um but the intent I will say, from almost everybody I, I, that comes to mind, um, everybody's heart's in the right place. Hmm. Doesn't mean the process is always right, but the, the heart is always in the right place, I think. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Love yeah. that. Thank you for your heart. Yeah. Thank you for being with us. <laughs> oh, my God. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. 
we know that you're feeling the stress of these challenging and uncertain times. We are too. And it's possible that you have no idea how to nourish yourself as an actor, as an artist in all of this. And we're here to tell you that that's okay. Everyone we know in and around this industry is feeling all that. And we want you to know that we're here to help. Every month, we open up our online studio doors and invite you to join us for a virtual workshop where we dismantle and reconfigure your approach to your craft, the industry, auditions, booking, self-tapes, and taking care of your creative soul. It's our mission to make you feel empowered and confident, even excited about what's ahead and what you can do right now. So join Steve and me online, meet our amazing teachers, find out what actions you can take in order to thrive, and let us guide you to the success you're looking for. To reserve your spot, check out the Summit link in our show notes to sign up. Space is limited, but we want you to be there, so click the link. We love sharing this content with our community. We offer it 100% free, and it's our privilege to do so. If you're loving this podcast and are interested in offering something in return, go ahead and subscribe to The Acting Podcast. Then find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen to your podcast and leave us an honest rating and review. Your words will help us bring this work to even more actors and artists around the world. Thank you so much for listening and for being here with us. We love how this community shows up for us and for each other online and in the studio. Come visit us online at thebgbstudio.com. Jump into a class with us. We're here to get you into the kind of shape necessary to be successful.